All right, Josh Smith here, live at my Flat 5 studio. Today my guest is a, a really good friend of mine and one of my favorite, not just guitar players, but artists uh, in the world. He's a tremendous player, singer, writer, and just a great dude. He lives in Chicago, but he's from Israel. Um, we have a lot in common just as far as, uh, you know, our age and the things that we love and our life and all that type of stuff. And he has a great new record called Joy is Coming that you should have. And if you don't, you should pick it up now. But we'll get into that during the conversation. But everybody, please welcome my friend Guy King. Hey, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. Of course. So I kind of start all these by asking everybody, you know, how the guitar ends up in their hands the first time and a little bit about their family and if, if they come from a musical family or not. I don't come from a musical family. So it was kind of random that the guitar ended up with me. How did it end up with you? I think maybe I, I heard you started on clarinet or something like that. Is that right? You got it, man. First, you know, I, I'm watching these when you do it. So again, really thanks for having me. I know we're friends and everything, but it means a lot and we'll get into some more connections between us. But uh, late at night in the wee hours when I'm holding our little baby or, you know, <laughs> Because <laughs> I have a little newborn, I'm like, yeah. hey, Josh got a new one. And I'm sitting down like quietly while he's sleeping on me and watching him. And I love right. those. So uh, yeah. it's great. You know, so I, I really love the, I love the show. So Good. Well, I'm glad, glad we finally got you on here. <laughs> yes. Uh, so it's a musical family. My parents did not, it's a, it's a great story, I think. I love that story. My parents uh, never could afford themselves. So they loved music, like dearly and deeply. But the way they grew up, they didn't have enough to afford music. So mm -hmm. when they came to Israel uh, in the mid forties, you know, uh, they when they finally met each other and formed a family, one of the important things for them was to have all of the, all of our children play, all their kids play. So in my household. There was music on all the time. I think they both sang nice, Josh. They passed away when I was a little younger. Mm -hmm. Just turned twenty, but they all they sang just for fun, and they really they love for music was you, you know, classical and opera. My mother loved, but also regular pop or whatever you know, whatever was playing if it was good. So they made us all play for us in the household. I'm the younger, of, I'm the youngest of four children to all the brothers and all the sister and then way later I was born. So they made us all play to the point where they didn't even ask. It was like going to school, you had to pick up an instrument. You could pick it up, you could choose one if we could afford it. So my oldest brother played clarinet, my second oldest brother played guitar. And so we had a, a nylon string at the house and an acoustic. Uh -huh. And my sister played piano, mostly classical. She was really good. And they all played like kind of professionally, semi-professional amateur in their teens. And then I started very young. Uh, I sang when I was three, probably at the house, and imitating Michael Jackson books, you know, thriller and stuff. And, and then I always sang what, what I heard. And then my father really liked the clarinet. So we had one. We had a good one for my oldest brother. And they put me in the conservatory when I was six, I think. And I played, you know, by the time I was nine, I think I was in the orchestra, in the big band. And then just listening a lot, then 
always tried to pick up the guitar for my second oldest brother and I was little. Right. So I kind of, I tried to get around it when I was sitting like this and couldn't. And then at 13, I was like, a friend showed me some, a couple of chords, like a G and a D, you know, open chords E. And I just uh, was like, wow. So I could sing and play chords to sing with. And I, it was it, you know. The orchestra at the conservatory asked me to, uh, said, okay, if you're ready to continue next year, I said, no, I wanted a saxophone. So they were supposed to give me a saxophone. Uh, and it took time for the repair. By that time, I I made my first chord, my first note, and it was it, yeah. you know. Yeah. I just wanted to play guitar. What kind of music did your parents listen to? Like, what were they into? What were they listening to at home? I think I remember a huge love for classical. Mm. Like deep into it, and there was a radio station. We had an old, an old radio that was always on. They woke up like at five thirty in the morning. I remember waking up at like six thirty or seven, and it was already beyond and out hearing music, a lot of classical. My mother loved opera when it was a good one that she liked, uh, but the music of the time in Israel. I was born in October nineteen seven, October third, nineteen seventy-seven. In the seventies mid 60s 70s music in israel was was great you know i think it was worldwide day the truth i think it's a phenomenon you know it was influenced by a lot of american music uh, a lot of Beatles influences a lot of music from brazil like the bossa nova of jobin you could hear those chords and a lot of the, the pop music of israel at the time so you know uh local music of the era on the radio regularly i do remember them liking Ray Charles and my father loving Louis Armstrong. Like, so I don't know if they would actually play a lot of it, but if there were some stations on the radio that every time we'd come on, they'd be like, listen to this. And I definitely remember George on my mind and I can't stop loving you, like the Ray Charles hits, the ones that crossed mm -hmm. over, playing on that radio station, uh, as well as Louis Armstrong. And every time he came on, my father would kind of turn me on to that. They loved Elvis. I remember this clearly. Uh, I think even like I remember songs. I don't know why you asked me that. Like Blueberry Hill, like Fast Domino. And I was oh like, yeah. I told my daughter the other day. I said, "You know Blueberry Hill?" She was not. And I asked to play like this. That was on Elvis a lot. I remember my mother loved him, my father too, uh, but not to the point where they were like put on record. You know, it was just right. You know, so uh, those were the. Those were the things I remember most. But I also remember that my sister, again, I'm the youngest of four by much. So my sister would, um, would she had, there were two, <laughs> there were two records in the house, like LPs, one Michael Jackson Thriller and one David Bowie Last Dance. They were <laughs> hers, there were others. But I must have heard those like a million times, you know. My brothers, played a lot of Clapton in the house, and hence he's my, we'll get to it, but I remember it being drilled to my ear. I wow. also remember, like, drilled. I think he even saw him in Israel. Like, he came to do a concert. It must have been 1980 or 81. Um, I remember Marks. It has, like, one has nothing to do with the other, but I remember uh, Marvin Gaye's sexual healing that he played, and I was like, what is that? But it was different. So I kind of, a little bit of everything. You know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I talk to a lot of my friends from Israel, 
uh, it seemed like Clapton must have just been enormous in Israel. Because everybody I talked to, it was like they were hearing Clapton constantly. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, Enormous. I, I almost think of him, he was like the, you know, the, the famous Clapton is God graffiti. He was not, I did not know about that till way later, but yeah. it seems to me that they were marketing it like whenever you thought about somebody with a guitar, he was the model, you know. You always thought, oh, it's Eric Clapton. But not the cream. The thing is, you know, later when you get into guitar, you think John Mellon Bluesbreak was the cream where he was really, it was the Clapton of both game, of wonderful tonight, of the big hits. Sure, know, yeah. 70s. That's what they were marketing more than anything. And it yeah. got over. I also remember James Brown, the early hits, for some reason. It must have been friends or family who was playing it. And Stevie Wonder, always gonna. But again, the very known song, you know, uh, You Are yeah. the Sunshine of My Life, uh, My Sharia Moore, that, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you're, you know, you're playing in conservatory and stuff, um, and I guess, obviously, the first time you play guitar, you, you pick up your brother's guitar, your friend show you chords, things yeah, like yeah. that. When, when do you kind of, you know, in your mind realize this is something you you might want to do because we all kind of come to this little moment of realization where it's kind of not just a an enjoyment but something we have to do what was that like for you you know uh, and did you play at school at all or was it separate completely school and conservatory um it was separate it was because it was a dad my parents actually drove me like 25 minutes to okay say the name so I grew up in a very small town, like small. I mean, there was 68 families back then. It was really okay. rural. You know, there was five. It's called a moshav. It's like a like an agriculture type village. You know, okay. it's not. A, it wasn't a kibbutz. There was a commune. It was everybody to himself. But a lot of uh, a lot of fields, a lot of agriculture, a lot of you know chicken coops and cows and things like that. You know, yeah. A lot of foods growing and vegetables. So. There were five of those little villages that were connected like they were one. Each one of them had about 70 families. So, you know, mm -hmm. That was the deal. So they would drive me to Ashdod, which is a city in the center south, going south on the beach. That's where the, the closest conservatory worked. They, they had, there was known of a certain quality. The orchestra was kind of known, so they wanted me to, to get the best education musically that they could give me. So... Looking back now as a father, I have to say that the, the admiration I have for them for making, taking me for a clarinet lesson once a week, taking me to an orchestra, and being the ones that, not making it seem like, okay, we're going to take you. Like, come, we have a lesson. Making it yeah, a yeah, beautiful yeah. experience. I don't take it for granted. I didn't then, but now as a father, as a young father, I'm like, wow. You know, they really wanted to give their children something, you know. So... The conservatory was in a different, so the kids at school, it was the countryside, they didn't know that much about that, you know. In the gotcha. country, they didn't have it yet. Later on, they started bringing guitar lessons to the to the village, to the, you know, to the mm -hmm. center. So it was a separate thing. The kids knew that I played, and sometimes they would have a, like a ceremony in, a, you know, in the first classes, and they would ask me if I would play a tune. You know, or something. Yeah. So I did, but when I turned 13, uh, and picked up the guitar. Around that same time, there was a band already uh, at, at the school from, from, from guys and a singer, a female singer, 
bass player that's the one that was a close friend of me and unfortunately showed me the first few chords the drummer told me which is still we still talk on the phone you know and we are another guitar player and we kind of you know they were really into the beatles and local music and some rock and queen and dire straits you know those some other music that i heard a lot and I joined the band kind of first listening and then playing that solo on the planet. And I'm like, it doesn't really go, you know, with that type of music. I tried to, but so I really, it motivated me to pick up a guitar because I'm with mm-hmm. acoustic and sing. This was the, really the beginning, but I'm 13 going on 14 years old then. And I have to tell you, I think it was it for me. Like the moment that I, I don't think it was a, it happened so, I got so into it that I wanted to buy an electric guitar. I saved my money. My father said, we can get you one. And I said, no. We had an old electric, like, it's like a Sears guitar, a red one. Built like a Telecaster and two, like, weird radio pickups with a square headstock. It mm. barely, but the action was here. Yeah. 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 I couldn't do anything, you know. But I, I told him, no, I, want, I felt like I need to do it. And I worked in the fields and stuff. And mow lawns and did country work and saved enough money. He took me to Tel Aviv to the big city and we bought my first guitar. It was uh, made in the U.S. It was made in the U.S. A Fender Stratocaster Black because Clapton had one. So that was the guitar I wanted. Later on, I realized, man, I got the gold with me and I've been for, but I didn't know it then, you know? Yeah. And within, I don't want to exaggerate, no, within six months, Josh, the second, the first show I was just playing rhythm, we had a big show scheduled, you know, and playing chords. The second show was six months later, maybe less, and I was playing like Clapton solos. Six months wow. into the second. I was into, I wouldn't tell you about, there's somebody has a video of it. So, you know, but it wasn't, it was pretty good though, I have to tell you, but I was so obsessed. He said, how long did it take you to know that I wanted to do it? I think the moment that I played and felt the string and knew that I could sing with it and then and then maybe have like have a single note that can sing, I was like, oh my God. And it was done. You know, I was like, I'm gonna have to do that. I was really active in just in sports. I played handball, soccer, basketball. Slowly it all became like uh yeah. I played socially, not anymore like not anymore in the team because it was all the time i wanted to either rehearse with the band or sit you know friday nights the, the, the guys go to on the girls hey we're going out to the pizza place i'm like i come later mm-hmm. what's wrong with you i'm like nothing i need to play they play later i said no no you don't understand i want to play this thing you know, so yeah it it's funny how that happens it's like it just takes over everything and and not in a way that you're upset about you're excited about it because it was like yeah i played baseball and i loved baseball but the better i got a guitar the less i wanted to play baseball you know what i mean i just wanted I, to spend all my time playing guitar and it's crazy i see that I, I saw you talk and explain yours and i saw some of the interviews you did and i'm like it's gonna be weird because some of the answers are gonna be identical but i guess that's what it is you know the background yeah, well, maybe I but mean, that's how it happens a lot of shared you know everybody kind of of course has their own story but there is a very much, you know, some, something gets you excited and lights the, the fuse, you know, and you just, you, you can't turn back after that. So, so okay, so you're, you know, you're learning, you're playing in, in, in bands uh, with your friends, you're playing Clapton solos all of a sudden on yes. your Strat, 
And uh, so then by then you you know, and your parents probably know, oh, he's he's lost. This is what he's going to do for, yeah, you know, yeah. there's no turning back. Um, what's what's next after that? I'm sure you start playing gigs, like you yes. said, and, and, and little things. Um, what about school? Do you start talking about what you're going to do when you're done with school? And also, I know in Israel, you have to go into the military for a few years. So you got to th think about that. What, what yeah, was, you know, yeah. what was the thought process there? It also, was a tricky time. were your parents worried that you wanted to be a musician at all? Definitely. At least professionally. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So I was good at school. I was like, I don't know the term popular, but I had friends and I played a lot of sports. So being in a team, you are around people, you know, not like that. All of a sudden, I'm a bit more secluded, not secluded, but more time to myself. I'm spending yeah. more time in the room playing. My brother comes home and he hears a guitar. He's like, what? My brother, he thought I was playing a record. And he was like, what is it? And my mother goes, it's your brother. So he's playing the Clapton. So he had a Clapton, Eric Clapton story, like a collection, uh -huh. which had, by the way, cocaine, Lay Down Sally, Crossroads. But it also had further on up the road and rambling on my mind. Mm -hmm. And have you ever other one on that collection? It's called story. I can see it, you know. And I'm yeah. playing the solo, and he runs upstairs and says, "What? He's playing the solo." And my mother tells him, "He's really playing." I said, "But it's only been a few months. What? When did he pick it up?" You know. It was that quick. It was like I wanted to play, and I was like listening all the time. And now I'm in high school. You know, eighth grade is over in the village, and I'm going to a larger area with more people. They knew that I sang because the band did a few shows at school, you know. So I sang and played, and all of a sudden there's some uh, ceremonies, you know, end of school year, the holiday, and they asked mm -hmm. me if I would sing. So, and the principal really liked the fact. So she was like, let him do his thing. She really supported me, like, because she saw I was helping. She was like, he's, he's good at school. He's helping us and he's doing those ceremonies for us. But we would like to put on a production, you know. The yeah. congas, the bass, I would play, bring like three vocalists. It was a nice little thing. So I immersed myself in that. Rehearsals at my drummer's chicken coop in the middle of the field. We kind of set it up as a, as a, as a rehearsal. You know, the drums were there, the amps would leave there, the PA system, some lights, you know. One day a big snake crawled right on there and was like, what's going on? I was like, grand. <laughs> a huge one. They look at me, I'm playing and singing like, and they stop and look at me like, I said, what's wrong? But look, and I see like on the, on the chicken coop wire right next to me, like a big snake. And I'm like, man, I almost took the guitar and ran out the door. So this was the life, you know, all of a sudden sports in like between classes on breaks, not in the after hours too much, you know, and army is always on the, you know, cause you, I'm 14 at this time, 14, 15. You know that you have three years at 18, I'm going to the army by the time I'm finishing high school. I was pretty good at school, majoring in physics, chemistry, math, English. So my mother is like, she sees and she already saying, so what, you know, do you know what you want to do after that? I said, yeah, I'm going to play. Yeah, but, but you're good at school. You know, you could be a doctor or a lawyer and play for fun. I said, what? You know, at, at this time I heard of Steve Ray Vaughan already, so the guitar is becoming more dominant, you know. Mm -hmm. The music is becoming more guitar dominant than music, like it was before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. this era. 
So I'm like, no, I think I need to commit. And I read the experience. So I'm booking the Clapton book, and you know, I get a VHS steps, uh, VHS like a videotape, a cassette, and now I can see how to lay a chord, really, like how Clapton does it. Now then, I'm like, okay, so I am legitimate, you know. Yeah. And one thing leads to another, and she was like, you should do it as a, don't stop it, you know. We always always want you to play, but be a lawyer, be a doctor. You don't need to. I didn't say anything, but in my mind, no, I have to commit. You can't. It's not a. Looking back, she may have been a little bit right. You know, it's good to do, but I don't know if you can reach certain levels. You can't uh, worship two gods. You know, I don't mean it like that, but I think to be a great doctor, you need to commit yourself to it. I may be wrong. I think there are people that are good at a few things. My mind worked so like I wanted to be the best I could be. You know, I wanted to. If I heard something, I wanted to be able to do it. Or if I knew, like, oh, I can't do it, but I could take something from it and apply it. You know? and so, you know, time became, and I was going to, you know, want me to be a pilot in the, in the Army, and I kind of signed off on that because I knew it's like seven years minimum, and, you know. But I did do, I completed mom service. At the age of 16, actually, this was a big thing for me. Uh, there was a band that was chosen of five male singers and five female singers from all of Israel through the Scouts Association to come to the States and perform a tour of like four months in 30 states. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wasn't sure. And then I'm like, again, I was starting to be into B.B. King, Albert King because of that connection. And I have to go, you know, not only to, you know, they were like explaining about Israel and, you know, kind of showing the world here in the U.S. that, you know, sure. it's not just a bunch of two camels in the desert. That's what it was known as in 94. You know, yeah. like, you have to change the, the conception. I'm like, okay. But the music was big. I could sing and tour. And it was like tons of shows, shows every day at churches, Baptist churches, uh, synagogues, sometimes uh, community centers, outdoors. Mm. Uh, and it was, again, I was in the music, so I loved it and I did it. And I had a chance to come to the States and see that the liner notes that I was reading is not just liner notes. It is real. You know, yeah. there is a club. They took me to, I came to Memphis and we sang at a church and the choir was so good. I remember like almost tearing up. You know? Then they took me to D.B. King's club and I see his guitar. To me, it was like a movie, you know, again, from coming from a little 70 family country town yeah. to see like a highway, Josh, of four, five lanes. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. you know, it was huge for me. So, and we ran into BB King's tour bus. I was sleeping in the van in the back because we were touring, you know, a real tour. And they tell me, God, wake up. I'm like, what? And we see it. It's BB King. I'm like, what? And this tour bus with Lucille, with the BB King, is like past us. And I thought, oh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? It's real. Like, I, to me, it was like I just saw, I'm like, what is, you know, I saw a prophet. I, I didn't know, you know. So come time for the army, I did do the army, but uh, I couldn't play. Every now and then I had a little time off or I would come home on the weekends doing a while and we kind of back to it. But I was kind of, kind of down. It couldn't, you know, you can't, it wasn't happening. To me, so yeah, every now and then there was a show and I tried to practice. We knew that we had a weekend off 
all three of us. So we tried to get in some and it was fun. But as soon as the army was over, I was 21. And then 12 days later, I got that black strap that I had, a suitcase, stopped at France at my sister and was on a plane to Memphis, Tennessee. It was like that. But I, will, I have to be honest, I was a little, I wouldn't say, say I was worried, not of coming, of three years, I felt like maybe something changed. I didn't feel like the fire was as big as, and I was like, I was, I, I looking back, I almost didn't do it. And I went on faith, but you loved it so much. You can't, don't let the time that you couldn't touch it all the time. So try it, jump. And I went, went to, flew to Memphis. And within the first day, I see somebody playing in the street. And he was so a trumpet player. He used to be instead of uh, the King Palace. You probably remember that trumpet player. He was there all the time. He played on the sidewalk with a little, you know, little backing track. Yeah. And I thought he was so, he was so good. He passed a few years ago because I went to Memphis and I saw they had a, po a big poster of him on the window. Yeah. Josh, I used to sit on the curb. What was his name? I don't remember. I'm sure I can find out now with the internet. Yeah. And I didn't, like all of a sudden seeing Josh that you could, to me, a concert was like seeing Eric Clapton at Wembley Stadium, sure, seeing Queen. Yeah. I could not go to clubs. One time, I went to like a club in the kibbutz, and there was a band playing. I'm like, wow. But coming to Memphis and then Chicago and Chile and seeing that it's, wow, it's music being played every night. People are playing it every I thought yeah. you need to be B.B. King at the Regal, or Albert King at the Film of West, or yeah. Aretha or Ray Charles in front of... I did not know that there was something, I shouldn't say less, uh, less popular, less 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 involving, performing less in, in these type of performances. So yeah, seeing yeah. this live, I was I was kind of shocked. And, uh, and the streets, you know, on the bus, I used to take the bus from like Germantown, Tennessee, to friends used to let me stay at their place. I was I was very shy, you know, you know. I, so I wouldn't talk much. I walked for miles to get from place to place because I was a little worried. Should I should I take should I hitchhike? Should I, I didn't know about <laughs> what do I do? So I just walked, you know, listen to music, kind of wander off. Then I would get to a place, see somebody play, or look out the window, you know. And you know, I was aware of things. My parents showed me a lot of things, and being a younger brother. You know, you learn a lot from your bigger brothers and sisters, but I was kind of naive and, and shy and I didn't know, you know, all of a sudden you see certain things, people drinking, people get high, yeah. fighting in the street, uh, you know, X-rated clubs in front of you if I'm heading to New Orleans and I'm like, <laughs> girls half naked and I'm like, I wasn't that, you know, I was still, it, it was different times and I came from a more, for a country town, you know, so see yeah, that all yeah. of a sudden, like here where you can touch it and smell it, I'm like, whoa, that's, uh, that's well, yeah, certainly culture shock to some degree. I mean, without yeah, question. a little bit. I knew about it from movies and from things, but having it like it could touch you, you know, was like, whoa, that's that's cool. You know? So, what were okay, so I mean, that's a leap of faith, obviously, to just get out of the army and go to Memphis and not have any idea what you're going to do, you know, when you get yeah. there or anything like that. What's the first stuff that you work your way into? Like, what's the first musical situations you get yourself into? So you asked if my parents were worried. They were, but also when I was so 
made up my mind and I'm buying my tickets and they are helping me do other things. They were like really proud. So they didn't like make me feel like, oh, you should not. Mother said, no, it would be good if you have something to land on, to build on, and good school, take advantage of it. But when she saw me, I let on know from my brothers, but she also told me, I'm proud of you. You believe in something and you are great. And you could do anything that you want. Mm. Keep that look. Do it. She was like so proud. And my father too. And then when they saw me perform, you know, in Europe on tour, they came to or they came to see me in the States. They were full, they were so proud, you know, the stuff that yeah. just happened. So they always encouraged me. There was never a, you should not play. But they they like play, be the best, but have something else to fall back on it. They always yeah. wanted me to do that. So um what was the first thing I fought I feel? Um, first, I was fortunate to have people that opened their home to me and gave me a place to crash, which is, you know, it's big when you only have a guitar and a suitcase and you don't know anybody, but anybody. It's, it, was, yeah. it was a big thing. And then could be that gentleman playing the trumpet, could be taking a bus on Beale Street, could be taking a bus and hearing a, Hearing a, a Stevie Wonder group that you would not hear in Israel too much, but and it felt right. I met a young—I don't remember his name. He took me in an old Buick, an orange with black top. It was like he liked me. He had an A-track, and he took me to see uh, other than the Beale Street clubs. I wasn't feeling it much for some reason. That trumpet player I was, but I shouldn't use the word too risky because I didn't know—I didn't know even know what he was. I was shocked, but. Oh, I was playing, yeah. but by that time I was already, you know, I listened to T-Bone Walker and Albert Collins, and I was heavy into Albert King, which is still to today. But yeah. and BB King, so I did not hear that or Ray Chop. I heard like other things, and I'm like, why don't they play this? Why don't I yeah. play like the record? And I wanted to. I was kind of there was a record store on Beale Street. It's still, it's still there. I picked up a Gate Mouth Brown CD and. I this I could start seeing connections. Another T-Bone Walker collection that I couldn't, you know, that I was like, whoa, Imperial Science, I ate it up, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, whoa, I could see, I could start seeing. That's why I read the BB King season as anything. You know, with Cedar Ivan and Albert King, I also I'm like, whoa. So I dove really, really, really deep into Albert King. Like almost put everything I had aside. And like dove into that, but in Memphis, I got it was a lot of experiences. Not, not maybe musical. I would sit by the river for hours because I was kind of alone. I'd take the guitar out. I take. I took it with me any everywhere because that's all I had. And kind right. of figured out things about. Oh, maybe I could play slide like this. But before, I, it always sounded bad when I tried to play slide. So uh, then one time that that guy, the friend of mine, took me to a place called Wild Wild. Wild Bills in Memphis. I don't think it's there anymore. And the like band it. let me sit in. I think it was North Memphis. And said, so he plays, let him play. And I was shy, you know, I wore like a hat tilted. And I played and thought, you can sing too. I'm like, yeah, I can sing. I was shy. And I did like the rocks is my pillow, the cold ground is my bed. I remember that. The, the album came there. And they loved it. Man, the place stood up. They offered me a gig. And I'm like, but I have it. And I had a bus ticket for the next day to go to New Orleans because I decided to travel. Like, I don't know if I, I should travel. I was in the army for three years now. I was in school. Mm-hmm. So I should see things. And 
But that one song that I played that people, you know, applaud and they told me I was good. Josh, it, it carried me through a lot of bad times, you know, not, yeah. not bad times, but I didn't know anybody. So I didn't have any opportunities. But that one that I had, I'm like, hey, I played one song. They offered me a gig every Saturday night. I could make one. I could support myself. People like what I did. So, you know, you play for yourself and you should know when you're good and when you're not. But yeah. sometimes that little pat on the shoulder goes a long way when you're by yourself. To me, it did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I see you saying that some people offer you encouragement too and you thank him for that. All the time, yeah. It goes a long way, especially when you are starting out and want some validation to know that you you said that was a big leap of faith. It was. So that little bit of, man, you're really good. I'm like, well, wow, yeah, I mean, you. I can't imagine traveling all the way, you know, halfway across the world, you know, which, I mean, I, to us now, it's, you know, we love guitar, we love blues, this is our life, but... You know, to a young kid from a village in Israel, you know, in the yeah. country, to come to America and play the blues and and have anybody, yeah, yeah. you know, now you know you've been here long enough. But it's like that the first time you get up and play and people do anything for you, you feel like you you're 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 gonna make it. You know what I mean? Like, That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Because look, there were many a days that I'm like. You miss your parents. I miss my family, my friends. I didn't know, again, nobody. So I'm like, other than the sheer joy I got from squeezing a note and hearing it come back to me, it yeah. saved me. You know, I read you at a post that said, man, I don't know. It's probably, I, ne I never did something as much as sitting in a room by myself with an unplugged guitar. I, I saw it. And I'm like, hey, man. It's never, truth. dude. There's there's nothing I've spent more hours doing than sitting I, on the edge of the bed or the couch or the chair, just playing a guitar unplugged by myself. You know, like I'm the same. I, I said I read it. I said, "Amen." This is you know. Yeah. So, but getting that pat that night at, at Wild Bills, were like they so like, man, you're great. They only want to talk to you. Can you be here with the house tonight to Saturday night? Man, I felt like I was a uh, mouth matcher across. I'm like nobody can touch me. <laughs> Nobody could tell. I feel like, you know, I'm not, wait a minute. I'm like seven foot six now, you know? Yeah. So then when I took, I took a bus to New Orleans the next day, you know, and all those experiences were huge for me, you know, because again, it stopped overnight. We had to wait a few hours in Baton Rouge and all these places were so, I read in liner notes of, of records about these places. And again, there was no internet much. So I had to go to the big city in Israel to try to get a CD. Josh, they didn't have it. They were like, we can order to you, come a month later. Okay. <laughs> that was my thing. They called me a month later and said, we have that Albert King double, uh, the yeah. ultimate Albert King. So, so coming through, I remember seeing, we passed through Mississippi and I was so moved because I'm like, I knew that B.B. King is from there. I knew that Albert yeah. King is from there. And I see Hazelhurst, Mississippi. I'm like, what? I read the Robert Johnson. I knew that he was born there. So those little things passing in some footsteps of people that were huge for me that I learned how to play from listening to them yeah, gave yeah. me another boost. Then somebody hears me and said, wow, you're good. And then I spent some time in New Orleans. It was wild and I was young out of the army and I could see myself in the wrong way. I could see, you know, you know, bad clubs, X-rated venues, things I like that. I was drinking, but if you know me now, I know that every, every now and then I have glass of wine will be back then i would enjoy having a little you know little yeah. bourbon and i'm like 
maybe I was trying to step into character knowing that the people I listened to was doing it too. But I did it and enjoyed it. And I could tell that it's probably, again, not having somebody to keep an eye on me. Something told me to keep moving. So (laughs) I stayed there a while and I loved it. I love New Orleans and who knows what the future may hold. But at that time in my life, you know, 21 year old kid getting out of the army out of school, I kept traveling, you know, trying to see places and look for opportunities. Yeah. That's what it was. So, I mean, how long of a period of time are we talking about between Memphis, New Orleans, and Not, wherever, all the traveling? How long it is looks, that? It looks long, but it's only a couple of months. So yeah. That's what mm-hmm. it was. Maybe maybe even less. It wasn't like, because if I would have sat there, I probably would have had to get, you know, I probably would have started building. It wasn't that long. And again, I was very shy. When, by the time I came here, two, I think it was two months. Gosh, it couldn't have been more than of all yeah. together, a month and a half, too. Because when I came here, within two weeks, I got a first gig and things started rolling. Mm-hmm. But those experiences in those cities gave me some more confidence. So I'm sure if I would have came, I think about it often, you could have stayed in Memphis. Maybe it would have been better. Or New Orleans, because a lot of my music maybe is more suitable to those areas. But I don't know. That's what happened. You know, not everything is about music. That's another thing I realized then. Growing too musically has to do a lot. It had to do a lot for me with life experiences, not just with chops, you know, yeah. on my voice. So, so it was probably a couple of months, and then I took a train, an Amtrak train from New Orleans to Chicago. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, so when you got to Chicago, it wasn't winter, was it? <laughs> you know, I would have been in L.A. by now if it was winter. No, it was <laughs> summer. It was June. So I'm yeah. like, whoa. It was a little gray. I remember getting, getting out of Union Station and thinking, whoa, it's a little, it's a little gray. But, uh, but it was warm. And there was the Chicago Blues Fest just a week later. Oh, okay. I remember. I remember they were like, and I think Otis Rush was there. Chuck, there were some names that I was like, what? I can see. You know? And I remember walking and seeing Otis Rush. He bumped into me, I think. And I looked and I was like, oh, my goodness. That's the, wow. This is Otis Rush. Then I walked into Blues Etc. was open. I walked there one night, and he was shooting pool with his wife. <laughs> to remember who I am then. I'm a kid yeah. that saw him on door to door with Albert King. I'm like, this is Otis Rush. This is the Otis Rush that you hear all oh, you love. You miss. I miss loving. And he invited me. And they're like, can you shoot? And I w- I would shoot pool a lot. Then. I would drink and shoot pool. I would go to just shoot pool sometimes with a guitar and all that. And we shot pool together and he ordered a pizza him and his wife. And I finished the night thinking, gosh, I'm like, I, maybe I should stay here. Because <laughs> what's going on, you know? And I came to some jam on the train. Um, somebody told me that there's some jam sessions at Buddy Guys Club at Rose's Lounge. They told me the days that I went to these places. Again, I was so shy. I did. I came with the guitar, but they asked me, "Do you play?" I'm like, "Yeah, I play." But I, I just wanted to listen. I felt there's so much I wanted to learn. Being, being not from there, and seeing people play and do things on stage that I, I did not know. So I just sat and listened a lot and tried to learn that way. Right, man. So. I mean, uh, and and I know uh, slightly, you know how it how it happens. You you know you you finally start 
sitting in at these things and this guy asks you to play this gig and this guy exactly. asks you to play that gig and and you know things happen and then you next thing you know you live in chicago you just you know you're staying yeah, uh yeah. when when did um so what'd your parents think when you moved that quickly you call home and be like i'm in memphis i'm in new orleans i'm in chicago you know they knew you know one thing about it before the past my mother made sure she called me daily which by then was a huge thing because it was yeah. expensive, you know? It wasn't yeah. to call us, but she called me daily. I miss it dearly till today. You know, so I still sometimes wait on that call. It's been 20 years. Since they passed. Sure. But it's, they knew, and I wanted, they saw that I was a little down, that I wanted to move, things wouldn't happen, you know? I don't know, maybe I had a dream in my mind. I liked it. I could see that I was working through it, but, I think they knew because a lot of people from Israel, when they get out of the army, they want to travel. Maybe it's the mm -hmm. confinement, knowing that you are not free, that you went to school, you stayed with your parents, that you did army, and you want to just see a little bit of something. So for me, that was the scene. I have to tell you something, as you are calling me from L.A. I wanted to go to L.A. before I knew about Chicago. And there mm -hmm. was somebody I called, a friend of family, and I thought maybe... I asked, is there a scene? Is it? I'm not really sure I do that. And, I, okay. and the people in Chicago, through my uncle, who was really a second cousin, he knew people here that became like family to me. They were looking for some help and offered to open the house. I really wanted to go to LA. I don't know why. The movies, I didn't know much about the music, but between us, I did not know much about the music in Chicago either. You know, mm -hmm. I knew the Ray Charles was from Florida and lived in L.A. I knew that Hollywood and some of the music business then was in L.A. I didn't know it was in Chicago. I knew B.B. and Albert and the New Orleans the Southern musicians were in the South. That whole, people don't realize it about me, but that I knew t was in Texas and uh, and Lightning Hopkins. And I knew that uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan was from, from Texas too. But Chicago, I know it's now I know. But I did not know that... Uh, whole scene of Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf, uh, Freddie King's not true because he's Texan, but he made a hits here, you know, Freddie yeah. King, uh, Magic Sam, I did not realize how vibrant the Chicago scene was. And even if you go backwards to Louis Jordan, Louis Armstrong cutting his famous hits actually in Chicago, it was a big jazz mecca in the 20s and 30s. I did not realize that. I did not know enough. And I wanted to go to LA, but Again, I was kind of tired after a few months, not knowing what I'm going, crashing at this place, crashing. So I had an invite yeah. from people that offered to open the house to me in Chicago and help them with their children, with their family. And I, and they became, till today, they're like family. So yeah. this was the toss up. And I came here and my mother thought it was great. She, again, that's the support I said earlier. She was really like proud of me. She was not worried because I shared it with her. They knew, you know, I told them. I think yeah. I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do that. So. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, so, okay, you're, you're <laughs> staying with family. You're helping them with their kids. You're going out probably most nights, going to jams. Every night, every night, man. Every night, yeah, because you have to. Um, uh, when when do the gigs become regular? Like, when do you get your own place? When do you, you know, all that type of stuff? It took a minute. Uh, only a couple of weeks into it, I got a first gig. For the people that don't play or want to take a chance. So I come in and they ask me, man, you sound again. I said one song, 
it sounds great. It was Lil Max Simmons and Aaron Burke. A little, a little Aaron Burke was the bass player for Albert Collins' Ice Picking Record. Mm-hmm. I was like, those little things made me, you know, yeah. they like, whoa, you know. So they offered me a gig. Do you have an amp? Yeah, I did not have an amp. Do you have a car? Yeah, of course. No, the people I was staying with, Daniel Mir, they let me borrow their car. The yeah. next day I wake up in the morning, I need to find a car. They helped me. I find an old, you know, beautiful, let's say, beautiful century, a gray one that broke down every night on the highway. But never mind. This is this is And I, I find an amp, a Fender tube amp. To me, was like, wow, I can't believe I just bought a Fender amp. And it's really so expensive. I had one, but the simple one, and you know, all of a sudden it's a lot more accessible. It's easier, you know, it's cheaper here too. So I took the gig, one became two, two became three, another gig offered. Then Willie Kent hears about me and we become close shortly after. And he tells me every night you're not working because he heard me play, you know, so he knew that I'm playing. And I heard him and I thought he was great. He said, come see me every time you're not playing. Playing, I'll, I'll call you up. Sitting there. So he kind of started getting me ready, you know. And a couple of months into it, Josh, I was like, gigs, they have this or that, and it's starting to happen. You know, probably a couple of months, but I had a phone call that my father was diagnosed with cancer, and it's not looking good. It needs to go into surgery, and I'm like, I tell everybody around me, I said, I'm leaving things here, and I'm going. So I went to take care of it again. I'm the youngest, and I didn't have a family at the time, so I could, I wanted to spend my time helping at home. You know? So I took months off like three, four months, and I left my things here. I just took my guitar, and I uh, just went to give my father different treatments and stuff. And uh, sadly, around the same time, my mother was diagnosed with cancer as well. So they both were going through it, and my father passed. He couldn't do anything. And then my mother in a short period of time. So I'm like, what am I doing now? I lost both of them within 10 months. It was really hard. Talking back at it, it was... I didn't know, you know, again, I didn't have my, my brothers and sisters had families. I was by myself, you know. Right. So I got a phone call from Willie while my father was sick. He said, hey, I told you I have room for you. I want you to join the band. What? And I told my mother, and she was like, you know, your father is stable. He should go. We are okay. There's more family here. So, and I went. And another thing, they encouraged me. They're like, you work for it. You yeah. should go get it. I yeah. came back and I joined the Willie and the Gents. And then my first shows, four straight nights, my hands were bleeding the night for me. Mm-hmm. It's not anymore sitting in the room and playing great for an hour, two, six. It's live on stage, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember playing in, in the club from nine to one thirty. Mm-hmm. Four straight nights, I, I could not move by Monday. And it was, Willie Kent was working like 300 nights a year. Mm. It was, but again, it, uh, in Israel, it started getting worse with my parents. So I, I left the band and I told Willie, and he was a gentleman. Since then, he passed away from cancer, too. People know in 2006, but my parents, it was 2002, at the very beginning, 2001. It was 2001. Or I don't know. Sorry about that. So yeah. I went and took care of him, and I left the band, and I told Willie, and he said, You're doing the right thing, so, but your spot is yours. And again, I thought, yeah, I'm not sure. but there will be people that were playing for you. But as soon as you tell me you're coming back, it's yours. And they both passed 
sadly, I was with them for a long time, maybe nine, eight months until it happened, and then lost them both. And Taking a chance on it, you know, and I came back and really left the spot for me. And he told me, the guitar players, thank you for helping out. Got it back. And I just buried myself in playing fashion. I did not want to hear anything else. All I wanted to do was play the guitar and sing. At this time, moving to Chicago for some reason, Ray Charles became a huge influence and a mentor to me. I felt like he knew what I was living, you know. Uh -huh. And my musical horizons kind of really broadened up. I started figuring out things that either I forgot as a musician because of the guitar consumed, you know, or yeah. I, oh, I, I started putting one and one together and seeing how I can make something for myself. Yeah. Man. Uh, wow. All right. So, it was a lot of information. I'm sorry. My answers are long, but you're asking me the questions that, that triggered these answers. No, no. So I didn't know all this stuff about, you know, I didn't know the whole story. So, so, okay. So you're, you're playing with Willie. Um, and like you said, when you start finally playing like that many shows, that many hours, you know, things change really quickly. You get so much better so fast, you know, like, yeah. so just... Every night, it's like a new thing. You reach a new level uh, of confidence, of ability, of all those things, you know? Yeah. And when do you, you know, start thinking about doing, you know, your own stuff, like your own records, your own music, maybe writing tunes? When does that start to become a, an idea, even? I, If I regret something, which I should not, because I accomplish other things, and I'm sure that it helped me shape. Sure. I had my own band when I was 13. I was uh -huh. the singer. I was writing songs. I was when I dove deep into the blues, I already played a lot of different I played music. I don't believe in sound. You know that you and I talk about this yeah. much, but I kind of like put the guitar up front for a while and left my singing to the side and left music to the side even. I shouldn't say that. I got in to be a little bit of a purist for a short while. Yeah. And maybe I don't regret it, but, and I don't regret being a member of working in the gents, but I would get since the first show, do your own thing, even venues, like, why are you not here, book? And I'm like the loyal type, especially then when in my younger days, and I was very shy then. Like, people don't realize when I say it now, you see me on the clip and say, wow, he's like, man, I would get. Josh, I did not speak to the man six months to really get in the gym. And I would be like, hey, how are you doing? I would have my drink and play and be so quiet because I felt like I need to learn, you know? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to show off. I just wanted to learn, to observe, to be better, you know? I did not know then that, man, you were pretty good. And Willie told me, you're pretty good. You can do your thing. You're going to do your thing. So he let me sing every night. I would open the show. Then he backed me up on bass, you know, for some reason. And I can't explain why. Gosh, maybe it's losing my parents. Maybe I needed a little hand to kind of watch over me. Mm. And I kind of, I shouldn't say regret. I probably should have uh, just did my thing, you know, because I, I got tons better. I'm not trying to say like I think I was good, but you know, I bet you when you hear your own stuff, Josh, the feel, 
when you were 12 and started or five, you started earlier than me on the guitar. I, right? You started really, really early. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sick. The yeah. feel is not that thick, right? Where after a few months, you can identify that it was you. Am I right or, or wrong? Yeah, I mean, I when I listen, I can, I, yeah, certainly I can hear myself in there. You know what I mean? But you... I have I have so much recording of myself as a kid because I was playing so many gigs that when I look at it now I see mostly I see just the progression. It was like literally each month I felt like a different player. You know what I mean? Like I was growing so much so quickly, but I was lucky that I had so many gigs. Like I, I played a lot of gigs as a really young kid. I I hear that you always say that I started. Later on, I had a lot of rehearsals with the band that were as important. We would put up this project, like gigs for 500 people. And people would come in the country, the whole surrounding area. Would come. Right. So it was shows, but it wasn't like here nightly. It wasn't like the same thing as in the States. That's why I'm like, what? You can't yeah. play every night for a live audience. My first show with Willie, somebody came $200 bill. Willie looked at me, I'm like, <laughs> that was more than the gig. For me, yeah, through my first solo, another hundred. I think there was like 800 hour bills on the floor, and Willie looks at me like this, and I look at him, and I'm thinking, like, Man, I'm all by a guitar, like, I can't afford <laughs> what is this? I never made that much money, you know. We split tips later, even though Willie was like, Take it, this one was you, yeah, it yeah. wasn't the band, but <laughs> but things like you know, I don't know, I got a lot better, but I felt like. I think the musicianship and the touch, the personal touch, I almost think you are born with it. And at the very end, I think that's what gets to the, it's funny. That's what will move something in the people. So maybe I should, I should have probably did my thing sooner, but I think it had a lot to do. It wouldn't have happened if I would have stayed in Israel. I was like the, the front guy. I never would have, I would play for anybody who wanted to. I love to play, but. Here, I felt like, man, I think from, from the outside, I need to I need to be quiet and observe and mm -hmm. soak it in. So I think I took a while that's probably more than other people would have. And it has to do with personal character. I was very loyal, I think, to Willie, to the point that I didn't want to take out a gig with other people. Yeah, I was yeah. offered and I said, no, I'm a member of the band. I was like proud to, to be his right-hand man and he made me the band leader. So I would pay the band. I was really young and the band members, I was 22, 23, the band was 16, the next to me. So yeah. I could pick up a lot of things and I started giving them, you know, arranging musical, musically about certain things. So I felt like, hey, I'm getting better. And all the crowd thing, playing at a club, seeing people sweat, dance, what moves them, you know, developing yeah. a certain amount of how to move people on the mic, not within the song, between songs, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and then he died in March 1st, 2006, and they wanted me to be the leader of the Jensen, Willie Pinson and Jensen. I said, no, that, you know, I need to say that I can't. You know? He's not here, it felt too weird, you know? And I started, I actually, between us, I never said that. I took time off, I didn't want to play at that time. Out. And that didn't say I didn't want to play, I didn't want to play out. Too weird. And Willie and I were close, you know. Losing my parents came back to me. It was a lot of loss in my yeah, life, yeah. you know. So, and to cancer, which is a heavy, you know, 
did the treatments. I'm the one that took him and took care of him. And yeah. Both my parents. And so I'm like, I'm not going to play. So I got just a regular gig, doing maintenance or something, learning crap, you know, doing electricity and painting and doing something to pay for my rent, you know? Yeah. And the Ray Charles stayed and turned into a Jimmy McGriff that turned into a. Uh, to, uh, oh, what's that song? Well, I got introduced to Deep Blue Organ Trio here, Henry Johnson, Bobby Boom on guitar, Henry Johnson, jazz guitarist, and Chris Foreman, Greg Rockin' and Chris Foreman, the, the organist, became a yeah. close friend of mine. And he told me, listen to Teach Me Tonight, I think you like it. I could tell that you play more, than, or you want to play more than just the, the blues that you play. In the band. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so I heard it. And it kind of brought me back to the things that I may have played on Planet or heard as a child sure. or some of that Ray Charles music that I never really put my fingers on much, you know? So there was a, the last few years of Willie Kent in the band, my style started changing from that first two years that I was like, Albert King, B.B. King, Albert Collins. Albert King, B.B. King, Albert. All of a sudden, yeah, I'm running something. I'm doing something different than and it became, you know, I around that time I almost thought about maybe not playing guitar. And when I start my band started as a pianist, I loved Ray so much, and like maybe there won't be a guitar. You know? So I started teaching myself to play. I got a Fender Rhodes, started teaching myself to play, and then I heard Bless Montgomery. Yeah. Doing one of those songs, and I'm like, wow, that's the first time I really heard it. Like, that's a whole lot. I felt like the whole other side to the guitar that I felt. That I could bring in like I brought B.B. King or Albert King or Clapton years before, and I'm like, I should not stop. Like, not that I thought that I had it all, but yeah, this yeah. moved me in a certain way that I'm like, I can combine this with the way I bend and make it sing. How does it do? What is it? And I started again diving in, doing those. I didn't realize things. it was that much later for you when you started listening to that stuff. Yes, it was. With Willie Kent, I started, I think the day job, I, let me correct myself, I got him this last year of his life when he was diagnosed, and I kind of got tired of playing it. I wanted to start my own thing and even talk to him about it. But he was sick, and it was the wrong time to leave and hang. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I stayed, but in my off time, Ray became huge. Errol Garner, the pianist, mm -hmm. became enormous influence on me. So people ask me sometimes, you do all those passages before next song to introduce it. Is this because of this guy? I'm like, no, it's because of him. That's why I got the, so different, Errol Garner, Jim McGriff, Wilson Gummer, Sonny Rollins, I started hearing it. And what was my introduction? Lee Morgan became a big, with R. Blake and Jazz um, yep. They became big for me because I would take a song that I said, wow, that's a great song, which knowing that was a standard. But what I would do, Jazz, I would look for like different versions to move me. And I made myself like a CD to drive to work at 5 a.m. of mm -hmm. like five songs back to back. Teach me tonight. Chris said, oh, I would like it. So I had Errol Garner instrumental, Shaka Khan version, Dinah Washington, which was the original, Nat King Cole. And all of a sudden, Sonny Rollins played a version of a song. And I'm like, this is great. This is great. This is great. And I can tell you, okay, this is my favorite. But what does he do there? And I started like while driving and listening. I got it in and I would try to figure out things. So it was later on that I really found out how to put it on the guitar. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I mean, 
and you, you know it's a a big part of what makes you you now is the balance of all the styles and all the things and i mean obviously that's a big part of what makes all of us yeah unique yeah. you know is the 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 blending of our influences but man you you do such a good job of connecting the dots between someone who's done his homework and really knows the blues history someone who has listened to the right jazz stuff and knows you know the important things there and 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 there's listen to the soul and r&b and all that stuff and i think that's why you you you're one of the most unique guys on the scene these days right, you know right. hearing it from you is like there's there's bigger tap on the shoulder than the memphis thing when i was playing back <laughs> but it it's the thing is you know it's funny so people some people you know the soul side and the more pop side and the rock side i think i put this aside for a while while kind of being straight in but you know sure. when i got the turntable here at the house so i can <laughs> proof do the test pressing for the album that you co-produced with me we'll get to that i'm sure it's there's not one blues or jazz record here none <laughs> like there's bg's there's i'm telling you the truth there's that michael jackson thriller that was the first record i bought to live my childhood and yeah. the bowie let's dance and like uh you know stuff like i don't know steven dan or dire straits or, sure. because i felt like i immersed myself in that so long that i wanted to like go back to basic or more for sound purposes but yeah i mean so otis red uh, otis redding i heard a lot josh too i forgot i heard otis redding and, and wilson pickett After the Elvis phase at like junior school when I became my parents Elvis and Buddy Holly and Richie Valens those things that for some reason they were still popular in Israel because they get it way at least then they got it way after the states you know yeah so then it became what well, was popular and I kind of got into the soul side so I was aware of Wolf Pickett and Otis Redding and when I first came to Chicago there was a period that I heard Otis Redding in it in the album you know right and also figuring out that that huge connection of like that the same guys that played behind an album came that I was like loving it and was it changed me those oh. were the same guys that were playing behind all this reading yeah. I was like yeah that was mind-blowing you know I and mean? I and I said you know to myself I said I knew it because the soul is the same the genres are not really genres the soul of the music is It's one. So in Stevie Wonder and then in Chicago, Johnny Guitar Watson became big. You know, I all of a sudden figured out, hey, it's not only Ray Charles. Other did that thing, too. Yeah. Oh, dude, let's jump into the 10 questions because I don't want to oh. have to... I don't want to have to cut us off because I got to do another one at 11. Oh, let's, let's, I'm sorry. We didn't even talk about the record. I'm sorry. I know. We'll get... Well, well okay. man, maybe we should just do a part two. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was was it boring? Did I answer too long of a question? No, 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 not at all. I okay. scheduled them too close together. <laughs> it was me though. It was the technique. It was that I didn't think about the headset. I should have just plugged. Uh, it doesn't matter. It. Doesn't matter. But let's get into the ten questions. Let's do it. All right. Number one. When you started learning and playing, what was the first lick or thing that you learned that that kind of you know. You know the feeling when you when you finally learn something you've been listening to, it's like you can't believe you figured that out. Do you remember what was the first thing you But figured out? First of all, I'm going to be really basic. It's getting like a G chord or a chord that's all clean. That was yeah. like a oh my goodness, it happened. You know, be, that you're talking very beginning. But something that moved me was this. It was like a 
Yeah. When I did this, I was like, oh, look out. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm done. I'm like, whoo, watch out. You know, but the, yeah. this would be it. Before Sunshine of My Love and before the Layla. Before the Layla. It was, it was cocaine. Interesting. Man, that's such a great song, but it is that that feeling when you you know you've listened to this song a million times and then all of a sudden it comes out of your hands it's like, oh, man yeah. oh when you played it i remember playing it with the record and not even hearing it like it sounded like the record yeah. and i was so happy and the first notes i was like oh my goodness yeah. what so was. is that is that also the first solo you ever learned note for note yes okay i think so i think yeah. so. i have to be honest I don't know if I got it from the beginning to the end, but I got it to the point where it was like I established, uh, you know. So it was, it was that. I just really don't know if it was that whole thing or like a, a part of. You know? Yeah, interesting. I don't think you know what between us. I'm not sure if I ever learned solo from the beginning. To I usually take like the beginning is what gets me into it, and that part that really gets. And I'm trying to figure out things in between. I always was like that. So I was the same way. I would learn the the first half of the solo. See, I never I to go my own way. Yeah. yeah, because to me that was the biggest magic trick. Was like, once you were able to improvise at all, that's all I wanted to do. It was like uh, that felt like like you know learning Latin or something. When you could put on a record, and I could find what key it was in and just start playing over it, I, it was like I couldn't believe I was able to do that. You know, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's the best. And then you find out every now and then, like a certain line that somebody's doing, like, whoa, the way it fits over the change. And then you kind of take that and try to apply it where, make it a part of you, kind of. Yeah. Uh, what's the first thing you play every time you pick, pick up a guitar? Do your hands just go somewhere first without <laughs> thinking, just automatically? Probably here. Like a. Like a like a 13, like a 13. Yeah. Lately. Is that the same thing like when you first get to the gig and you hit standby to kind of check that everything's working? Probably same thing. I think so. Sometimes it's this. For the tuning, to make sure that the E, I think. No, I think it's a 13 chord. Yes, yes, it is. Usually it is. Unless there's something in my mind. If I heard something or like a song that I'm working with, usually I'll be like, I'll be stuck. I'll be stuck. You'll be stuck in me. So that would be that. Yeah, yeah. Well, then that that's that leads us to this question. Then, what gets stuck in there the most? Like, what key? What style? What song? What do you just hear when you're doing nothing? You know, like I I can't help it. I hear a shuffle all the time. Like all I hear is be. That's just what I hear most of the time. It changes sometimes, but. It, you know, if you ask me at a random time what I'm what I'm thinking or hearing, it's normally that, you know. It's a shuffle. Wow. Yeah. Well, now I'm stuck on the shuffle because he sang it, but it changes. I have to be honest with you. It changes for me. According to what I'm working on, 
you know, if, if there's a song that I'm writing or, uh, or like with the record, it would change too. It wouldn't be one thing in particular. Um, lately, it's somewhat more minor than I have in my life. I'm always a more major. Lately, it's more minor around that area. And now, and it's weird because it's like more playing chord, like, like more like just a, a sound of a plain triad chord, which I mm -hmm. haven't played since I was a teenager until, until maybe the last record, you know? So yeah. this or a major chord. Yeah, maybe something like this, but it changes. And lately, for some reason, around that album time, I think I started hearing more minor sounds like that. More variations on the minor notes. When you first hear a piece of music that you've never heard, though, what's normally like your first instinct? Is it like, are you paying attention to melody or, or to the groove or to, or, or are you immediately hearing an improvisation over the top? Like a lot of the times that's, I'm hearing improv most of the time. You know, what, what do you, what's the first thing normally for you? It got to that. I tried to take it away. I tried to go back. It won't be, sadly, I talked to my wife about it. She's great with lyrics, and I'm not as good, even though I know their importance and appreciate it. The melody and the beat and the groove is like those two, according to what's more dominant in this song, what grabs me. If the melody really grabs me right away, I'm like, right. That's usually the thing that, that floors me, that gets me to want to do that song or want to learn something similar. But when you think about music, that the melody is secondary, anything James Brown or funk related, really, then the beat gets you too. So I think it's what more dominant within the song, either a melody or a groove will grab me for. And sometimes if the harmony is really gorgeous, it could like, but the harmony is nothing without the, no, it will be the melody because the harmony just decorates the melody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man. Okay, so we talked about this a little bit, so I maybe know the answer, but when did you you feel like you started to find your your voice? So, you know, like what, what I associate with you is what we were talking about earlier, the mix of all those things. And also there's a very pure thing about your playing. You know, it sounds like you're very, very clear in your head of what you want to play and what you hear. It always sounds very decisive, uh, which is cool. I, I like that. Thank well, you. But what, do, do you remember like you know making conscious choices like hey this sounds more like unique and more like my thing i should do more of this you know i'd never made that i never thought about it okay. never never i you know what i should not say never before the last record before the one before joy's coming i remember huh. sitting and talking to uh tom bites the piano player also he and I remember telling him, I said, I have to say it out loud so, it, so it'll be like I need it. So it records. I don't want to play over all the changes. He said, what you mean? I said, I want to go back to melody more. And I know most people tell me and compliment me, guys, your, solo, your solos always sound like a melody. But when I'm sitting at the house sometimes, Josh, and when you're trying to get better, when I, it means that if I hear something, I want to work on it so it can become mm -hmm. me. And I, could, and I remember saying, don't don't just play overall change whatever you want whatever needs to be played on the change don't do that you know make sure close your eyes 
the whole album is original. Make sure that the song comes out, that the melody comes out. So I wanted to go back to that. So when I was not as good technically or knowing what I'm playing, sure. there's a certain purity of playing, maybe simpler, but it's all you know. So you put everything into it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I felt like I wanted to, I wanted to do all these things at times, but I had to not put a rain. It's not true. Like let, let the music speak more to itself. But, and I never, and pretty much play the song, which I think is what I do mostly. Yeah. But sometimes I'm guilty as well as, hey, but this can be done. Let's do it. And it's not really the right approach. But I never went and said, consciously, I should do. I think I, I let my, uh, yeah. what I feel mostly dictate where I, where I want to go. Which is not, I mean, you have to kind of reach that point because, you know, we're always working on this new stuff and you want to use this new stuff. You want to learn, you learn something, you want to use it, you you know, you. so you build up this vocabulary of, of yes. knowledge and ideas and facility and technique. But then eventually you realize, well, it's still all in service of playing a solo that feels as good and is as memorable as what Albert King does or B.B. King does, you know. You could still say something that simple and that memorable, even with all this knowledge and technique, you know? That's the thing. It, it's it's not, we're talking. I don't have to use all my words and my letters in the one That's exactly what it is. You did exactly. it uh, the, through the night, the song from yours that I love so much that I play. You sound like you. You play di not different. Maybe you don't do everything you're not into. You don't need to. That's the point. That's kind of what I think is the, the individual touch goes yeah. farther than the technique you know yeah absolutely absolutely all right number six what do you consider your biggest weakness on the guitar man wow are you gonna call me out like that and have me tell you because you know, <laughs> i want to know what everybody you know every we all I have know, things no, that right. we wish we were better at <laughs> you know? uh i don't think uh ah well since i stopped playing with the pick but you know what? Not true. I don't think I'm the fast. I don't think I'm the fastest gun in the West. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a that fast of a player. Uh, that's. You know, I could do up tempo swings the way I want to, but I don't think I'm as. Uh, that's my weakness. But I have to be. I don't really think that like that too about the. Yeah, because it's partially it choice be. as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. But I had to work when I dumped the pick. I, when I used to play with the pick at the beginning. When I put it down, I had to work on getting the thumb to be as fast as I wanted to do. And I have to be honest, when I told you West Montgomery's influence, I was already playing with my thumb. I did not know that he was. But understanding that, hey, you can play faster. Don't put yourself down just because. So mm -hmm. maybe that's, maybe I don't think I play very fast. That would be a a weakness of mine also it's a weakness but also maybe a strength the fact that i don't use much uh effect and processing for the guitar mm. i think there are beautiful things that could be accomplished with it and i think it's in it's in the way you see the guitar i don't think it's that you know so one is i don't play as fast probably and second is the processing and other sounds that you can associate with the guitar sure sure yeah, but again, that's also part, partially a choice as well. well You're definitely right. A choice. Yeah. You're right. But I mean, I'm sure if you gave me your, your weakness, 
it's probably it's just you could work on it and make it you know yeah it's i mean yeah i mean right? we all have you know there's a difference sometimes not a difference but at least an understanding of of a difference between you know a choice and a just a complete i can't possibly do that you know what i mean there's plenty of things i could never do and then there's other things well i could do but i just don't want to do you know i hear you. i hear you. Yeah, absolutely all right number seven who's a big influence on your guitar playing that uh people would maybe be surprised to hear you say i think i said it uh on the guitar playing i think errol garner is the one people would be surprised yeah, they probably yeah. wouldn't have thought, but I would quote him as one of my biggest influences. Uh, I don't think Ray Charles would be a surprise. That's not a surprise. Maybe <laughs> on the get yeah. yeah. Another one. No, none of them will be as a surprise as I think Earl Garner and it's funny, but Joao Gilberto, the Brazilian. Uh, oh, okay. On my music, yeah. 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 Man, Ray, I mean, obviously not a surprise, but Ray was so big for me too. And not just Ray, the whole band and uh, man, Fathead was huge for me in learning to play anything through changes. Like, because he played the simplest stuff, but it was all through the changes. And it was like the beginnings of, oh, what's that? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Really, that's some of the most first, very beginning things I ever learned. Yeah. Got to play. Yeah. 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 The, the T-Bone band too. When I talk to you about yeah. the Imperial and the Capitol, people yeah. ask me when I do like a listen to somebody or massacre and I said, listen to that. I said, but I don't. I said, but don't listen just to Tim and the guitar. Listen to the band. Listen to the piano, the bass, the way they play, the horn plays when they take a solo. You're gonna yeah. learn tons from that. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I tell people all the time when they take a lesson from me and they want to start learning how to play anything more. It's like, man, just go learn the solo from Hard Times or something. You know what I mean? Like, start on something simple like that and just play through those chords, you know? And learn the melody, play the melody and make it yeah. mean. Make, you know? Yeah, of course. All right. So here's number eight that I ask. <laughs> Everybody has the different answer, but would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp on a gig or a great amp and a bad guitar? Wow. Wow. I have to tell you which one. I can't answer. It depends how, how crappy they are, I guess. Really crappy. Well, crappy. would the gig be better if you had your guitar and you showed up to play your gig and you had to play through a crate or a JC-120, or some guitar. terrible solid-state Marshall, you know? You or would it. it be better if you had some terrible guitar and a super, a great super, you know? Which which gig would be better? The guitar. Okay, interesting. I would go for the guitar. You know why? Because of our answer, even I could just, you know what? If it comes to that, I will bring it all down and walk to the table and play like I play without practice. And it will sound beautiful to me. You know, I'm not plugged. Yeah. I can't get the message. But I think you'll be, if the guitar stays in tune, I think the other one will work too. I still will sound like myself up there. You know? Uh-huh. Interesting. So, See, I'm the, I would take the amp always first. Wow. Absolutely. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think, again, I think that the gig would be, because I played guitars that were not good and to make the show work is fine, you know. But, uh, it works fine, but I also played 
man, I did a show at a time period. I left everything and was in Brazil for a while. People didn't even know right. where I was. And I had my guitar and I played through a PA. I didn't have a amp. And at first I was like crying the blues, but this third night I'm like, wow, it started to sound okay. So I think, you know, I don't, you know, I think I would take my guitar though. It's, it's more, I'm connected yeah. to it. All right, number nine. What what keeps you motivated to continue, you know, improving as a guitar player and as a musician? Like, what keeps you, you know, learning new stuff? I don't think I can help. I think uh, curiosity, but without even realizing, you know, the fact that music is always somewhere in me. That all of a sudden I'll hear something, even walking down the street, and like, and it will spark. A feeling. You know? What keeps me improving is the feeling. I think it's the feel more than anything else. It sparks something inside, and I want to want to figure out, or I want to share it with other. And I know that in order to share it with other, I have to first know how to tell yeah. that story. So I think it's the feeling that, that more than anything, the feeling of music. I just hope that that never goes away. Because it's still every day it drives me something, yeah, something sparks something you hear something some an idea, whatever. I I just hope that that never goes away. I know, but I don't think you know what I think that you know. I know that you know by knowing you, you know, and how you as a musician as a person. When you realize it's not just you, but sometimes we will talk and we will talk about our families or something, and it'll leave you feeling good, you know, a good feeling. You talk to a friend. It's gonna reflect on the. You're gonna all of a sudden want to pick up the guitar. So when I realize that, I feel like I hope so too. You worry that it never goes away, but when you realize the music is kind of its life, was a part of life, it can't go away. Because oh, you're you right. Know, you're right. Like you know, when I'm in a bad mood, the first thing I want to do, pick up a guitar. When I'm in a great a mood, anger, you had a different feeling. You're gonna explore different things, kind of right. right. But when I'm in a great mood, the first thing I want to do, pick up a guitar because I you love see to play what I'm saying? That's yeah. the thing, you know, yeah. or music, yeah. or when you when you know how if you learn, I'm trying to channel it to different sides, the guitar, or working on something, or a rig, or sound, or a song, or writing a, a change, or a arrangement. Yeah, yeah. All right. So then, where do you want to be then in five years? What's your What's your five year plan, man? I know you got other records you want to make, other things you want to do. I know you want to yeah. be out there on the road more, doing your thing. Yeah. Do you have specific goals in mind? You know. Yes, I do. Uh, I would. The re since I started playing, and I told you I was a Clapton fan. Having that twenty-four nights and knowing about the Royal Albert Hall, it was a place I wanted to play at since I picked up the guitar. A little yeah. ambitious for a thirteen-year-old, but I can't sure. turn back the hands of time, and it's still here. Having to say that, I know that if I can play there with my music, not just, you know, means that people are enjoying and understanding mm -hmm. what I'm trying to play for them. So playing there, performing at Red Rocks, playing at a theater for, the Red Rocks became one of those too lately. I don't know why, because maybe it's because it's beautiful and the venue that I it's know. It's on my list too. It's okay. on, I wish one day, you know, yeah. So I've I'm played like, there before, but not playing my music. You know uh, what I mean? It's like- Was it beautiful? Did, did you love it as much as you thought? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. But, uh, but I was standing reason. in the background playing rhythm guitar on somebody else's music. And that's great. Uh, you know, I loved that part of my life and I enjoyed it. But 
I want to I want to be there like you said playing my music and people there to hear that. But it's at least you made the step going, you know, it's like you got the taste of that. It's good too. And it, hey, and you know as much as I do to doing that there's a set of skills that Bass team has as well too. So that's what I would like to uh to headline the tours everywhere in the world, not just at the in England at the Royal Albert Hall or or Red Lines. And I come into LA and play a big theater where people are coming and yeah. they sing and joy is coming. You know, and they they ask me to play that song or they want hey want to hear Devil's Tour. And we cut it like it was or better than than it was as good as it was recorded yeah. just a live version. Yeah. So but the thing is, I also don't too much believe in magic tricks. I do, but I don't. Magic tricks come when you work on your craft. That's when the magic comes. I think that you can take seize the moment. That's what I feel. But I think uh, a good manager would plan to know how to get what I'm talking about and put it in action. As someone that did it all myself for my career, other than the wonderful musicians that I met along the way, you know, that... Uh, if it's band members or the people that you know that you associate play with, I think as someone that did it all my by myself, booking, managing, and yeah. I, I'm responsible and I'm straight up and I'm honest. There's a team to work with you about things. I think is is a wonderful thing, and you can achieve higher goals, and you can free yourself to do what you are better at, which is create and work. You're not supposed to be out of the mix, but I think, you know, yeah. let's say while I'm playing the show, somebody else could be already booking the next one and it doesn't have yes. to wait till I get off the gig and having to buy two. That's what I'm so, and I see yeah. others. I see, you know, you, just a little help. <laughs> yeah. The scene have changed, I think, since you and I, we similar in ages, you know, the yep. scene have changed. Music worldwide have changed. And the mm -hmm. way of doing things, and I see now that a team uh, of working together—it's uh, uh—it's important to to progress and to to being able to reach those the things that you asked me. Where would yeah. I want to be, and where do I see myself in five years? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're on the right path, and you know you're Thank making you. good I'm music, open. and that takes hopefully the rest takes care of itself. All right, man. That's it. We reached the end of the ten questions. So now, man, we got to talk about your record. We got to talk about Joy is Coming. Um, I was really happy to be involved in this with you and to help you with the record. I know how proud oh, of it you are, and uh, I'm proud of it as well. Tell tell us tell people about the record who don't know, and and if you don't know, please go buy this record. But anyways, come on, talk about the record. <laughs> so wait a minute. The first thing before saying how. Before saying how proud I am of it, I'll reach backwards. <laughs> this is the record. Yeah. Like literally a record, a vinyl record. So yeah. it's my first release on vinyl and I'm. it came out like as good as I dreamed it would, which is rare or even better, you know? So a lot of things I thought, oh, it should be like this. Yeah. And you know it and I'm kind of picky. I all of a sudden like gave in and said, wait a minute stop holding on to something it actually is better be quiet roll with things which is something i wasn't really good about before so i'm here to publicly even though i did it online on some posts say thank you so much josh because <laughs> it would not have been the same really it would not like 
I was actually about to post something, you know, the same, like a thank you to you and to Alan. I found a couple of old photos that we were together. So the world kind of stopped while I was at your studio. We were together oh, yes. in, yeah. in LA and my wife was calling and saying, you remember when we were eating together, come, everything is being closed. You won't be able to come home. Yeah. Like, what? But we are mixing and we were kind of, it was funny because it was just the three of us in a room and we wouldn't hang out and we went to eat. We were kind of safe about it. So right. I tried to explain to her, first of all, there were no really regulations yet because nothing no. stopped yet. I mean, that was but the very beginning. Like, we, yeah. The, the, you remember it was like, okay, they canceled the mastering session because we couldn't go to master. And I, yep, hey, right. Josh, I think I'm, we're done with the record. Instead of flying, I think I'm flying tonight to make sure yeah. that I don't get stuck, you know, that yeah. I come home to my wife and baby. So, uh, yeah, I'm proud of it. It's, uh, I wrote the, either wrote only me or co-wrote either with David Ritz or a couple of the songs with my wife, which... It's the first record that I said no covers, no songs by others, no interpretations. It's me. I have to be more intimate and tell my story, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Second, the arrangements. I was so like, I'm kind of hands-on. So arranging strings, I never sang with strings with a real string section before. That's mm -hmm. the first, I did it live, but never on a, on a recording session. So with the arranger, we arranged together horns I always have in my band so it was kind of a, a familiar ground to me but I was in Chicago and you know having Vanessa Bill Armstrong sing with me and having Joe Javanamasa play but everything kind of and the stories of the songs you know Joy's Coming was written when my wife when Sarah my wife was pregnant with our daughter with mm -hmm. we didn't name her yet Joy's Coming she was the joy that would she would come eventually you know so yeah. Songs like this, even Devil's Toy. Uh, I'm talking about temptations, about rough times in New Orleans. Some of the things I told you that I decided that I should get out before something. Yeah. Not, a lot of things, and if you listen to the lyrics, it's like it, everything is kind of, it's, it's a mini autobiography of mine, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, choices, choosing my wives instead of going places to tour, deciding to, to stay put and just, you know. Uh, so a lot of things happened in my life that led me to relax. You know, I met Sarah, we got married, Achel, our daughter was born. Since the record, Sarah was pregnant again, and now we have a baby boy who's yeah. uh, who'll be, it's 12 weeks old now, a little bitty one. Yeah. And, you know, so the album is kind of, I feel like it's the part of me, and the sound, I envision something in particular. You know, and when I remember calling you and you were like, hey, I have something for you. Just, you know, send me a track. And I sent you a track and you you brought Alan, Alan Hurts, and you said, what do you think? And without, you said this, I remember, I remember it like yesterday, you know, on the phone, I was here with you then, before it was a studio, it was a back porch. And I told you, you said you only told us, just give me a couple of notes. And I, I almost didn't say anything because I wanted to see you know, be quiet, let them work, you know. And I got it back and I'm like, whoa. So when I had the opportunity, I'm like, this is what I envisioned without even saying anything. So when I have, I have a little, we talked on the phone and I said, okay, I'm coming. And I remember bringing everything and we sitting together and the first day already, you know, I was kind of excited and nervous. And the first day it sounded sounding so like, 
whoa. And I asked you, I said, man, how can it sound like this? We didn't even, I wasn't used to, we didn't even talk or it was like everything just made sense. It made, it felt yeah. right. It was a hang too. We were talking and laughing and eating, you know, and, and so without you, Josh, and bringing Alan and making the whole side of the production what it was, it would not be what it is as far as I'm concerned. So I cannot thank you enough for that, you know. Well, you're, you're welcome, really? man. And it's a it's a great record with great tunes and you play your ass off on it. You sing great man. on it. And I, I mean, I remember, you know, we'd obviously even talked about the record before you even recorded the tracks. You telling yeah. me what you were going to do and what you, you know, the whole process. So I kind of knew what you were going to do. And then I knew, you know, after you'd recorded the tracks, you sent me like, you know, just to get my opinion on things and things like that. Right. And, and so I knew what you wanted, you know, I knew what you wanted to yeah. accomplish. And the great thing about Alan is he's very malleable. So, you know, you give him a few words and he'll make it happen. He's a weird guy, but he's incredibly talented. <laughs> it, and, it was, he was, that's the first time I met him. I remember, yeah. I remember you saying, Hey, I'm bringing in Alan and we're gonna, and it was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, that's the kind of, I mean, you know, it's obvious you, you, you know, now because you've been here with me, that's the way I work, you know, like I, I commit very quickly. So I, I yeah. get sure of something and, and just make a decision and go there, you know? Yeah, no, man, I'm just, I'm really proud of the record you made and I, you know, I'm glad people are digging on it. Um, you know, I, I think it takes not just, you know, money and and passion to make a record it takes guts like to make a record that is what you want to make you know and maybe yeah. not always just take everybody's advice at hand to stick to your guns and make the record you wanted to make and i think you did that man you made the record you had inside you and that you wanted to get out and get made and you should be proud of it thanks man you know what i really am and every time i think maybe i should i listen i put it on and i'm like nope it's what it should have been so I'm like, I'm really happy with it. And usually I'm not. Usually I go back and I'm like, no, I would have done that. Okay, next one. This one I'm really listening to. I'm like, you went for it. And you did it. Like it came, it came out the you know, the conviction, the intention. I was really into everything I've you said it earlier about my playing, and I'm very flattered by it. But here I feel more than any time. This was it. I had no doubt, you know. If I had tried something, it was a rehearsal. And I'm like, no, this is going to be it. And mm -hmm. I just went for it. But it just came out like a part of me, you know. So I'm glad we documented it. And it was fun doing, you know. It was, you said about you committing how you work. I remember us talking and me asking you, I said, Joshua, there's a million options. How do you, and we had the thing, you're like, I've been there. And I used to, I recorded tons and I worked with tons of sessions. Now I just come in. This is what I do. And I remember having a thing in my mind that I said, guy, this is how you play. You should be about it, about everything. So it kind of stuck with me, you know, and like more than you think. And I'm thinking then since I'm like, no, go for it. Go for an instinct. Think about it. Stay with that instinct. If the, if the thought did it, and just roll with it. It's going to be the right thing, you know, so. And this is kind of thing. It's our conversations from the from the session, you know. But and also about you know, 
it was mixed so well, and I remember you gave me some idea. Things that to me are not small, they're major, even about a, a tambourine hit, where to stop it, where to come with it. I remember the devil's soul, and it was like, it was dead on, you know, and I'm listening to it. And you know, I went with the first draft of everything. Like the way we put it the first time, I called you then and said, John, because you were the one that took it to mastering. I was in Chicago, you know, mm -hmm. with the quarantine. So, yeah. and I do not need Josh. It was like, I'm so glad that that's what I, that's how it turned out. And it sounds great. And the mastering, you taking it to the, to, you know, to the bakery, to Eric and having him, you know, cut the lacquers there. Everything is like, the packaging came out great. The sound is gorgeous to me, you know? Yep. So, yep. Lyrics of the songs that we included in the vinyl edition, because everything is kind of real. It's you know, it's a, it's you know, it's like a true story. Like I said, like a like a like a chapter of my autobiography. Yeah, man. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, whatever the next one is, man. I mean, me too, man. But you know what? Now we talked about the Albert Hall and me getting to it through to it. Right? I did one show uh, of this album. Just one, just recently. I saw, because I saw, yeah, Phil and Natasha. And they flew. And I was nervous because other than the session, I never, because of the quarantine and the world stopping, I never played these songs live. And all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, there's an album we show. I'm getting the horns. We're writing down the string charts for the horns because I couldn't get the string played yeah. for a live show. And background vocals, Sarah and Devin, everybody from the record, the whole cast. And I'm like, and I got nervous. I'm like, man, you never performed it live. You need to like, I had to sit with it, you know, sit yeah. with the lyrics, with the changes. Like, so, and I think live, it, it's a great show. Like it worked. When I played it live, I could be honest with you. I was like excited. I felt it. I felt the power of the lyrics, the songs, the arrangements, the thoughts of the session, of the mixing session with you and Alan. Everything kind of came while I was singing it, which made it kind of, kind of special and I I would love to to tour with that record you know because I went for something I played more rockier than I ever did like yeah. you know I told you yeah. I went to my first influences more to the Clapton even staying stuff that I heard as a child that I never knew I told that I, I dove into the blues a little too deeply earlier and I feel this is my not coming out because I'm always going to play blues I can't you know but this is the first time that I could say with, the, with Joy's coming, this is Guy King, you know? And I think the next one, the one after, will follow the, not stylistically maybe, but as far as the intent and the honesty and just being me and using everything I learned as a vocabulary only, as a, this is what's in, now it's coming out different after my film. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Awesome, man. And, you know, everybody, please, buy this record uh man we need Thank this you. support you know it's important and it, you know it helps so every every record sold is a big help uh you heard him he's got two little kids <laughs> yeah, i do we, we talk about how i have my hands full yeah he does have a lot hand. of these songs were written when the when the, the baby was like sleeping with sarah and i was like on the couch and i just switched to just you know i used to play tele telecaster exclusively yeah. Like yeah. there was one telecast that could play, but I wanted to change the sound and I switched to this guitar at the time. And a lot of the songs were kind of written on the couch late at night by me kind of, and ideas playing like this while they were sleeping. Hence the photo on the back. That's like a true photo that we chose to 
to Crick, yeah. you know, which is so good. So, so yeah, man, but it helps. And I'm selling it off from my site. You know, it's all set up now. It's shipping worldwide. Uh, in, in the States, it's really affordable. In Europe, too. We actually had units shipped in Europe, so they're ready to be distributed nice. to people. So. Well, the links to all of that, all of Guy King's everything, will be in the description Man. of this video. <laughs> so please support him. Uh, you know, dude, thank you for doing this, man, for doing this interview. Thank you for having me. I uh, I apologize to the listeners. I know you said it was cool, but my answers sometimes were longer than I ever spoke. Because you get, <laughs> don't apologize. I'm not apologizing, but I seem to have elaborated and went kind of personal because uh, you are a friend and you know you mean a lot to me as a person as a friend as a musician and guitarist it's a sure thing I'm not everybody knows what you are and who you are Josh but as a friend and a person so you ask me some things and uh, what specifically when we talked about my parents that I I don't think I ever spoke about other than my wife or close friends they know yeah. But when I'm speaking to you, it's like, I can't just tell you, oh, the past when I was younger and everything. It was a deep thing. Meeting my wife and having the children was a deep thing and it all connected. Mm -hmm. So with you, it all came out. So my answers were a bit longer than I would usually tell No, man, I, I'm just glad you just be yourself on here, man. And yeah. you're right. I mean, you, we are friends. So, I, you know, yes. I, I talk, you know. People are going to enjoy hearing that from you and get to know you a little bit better, you know, yeah. and that's what this is about. These are these are uh, the my my favorite thing about doing all these interviews. Almost every one of them have been with people I already know. Yet I've learned so much about more about my friends through doing all these interviews. This has been really enjoyable for me, you know, yeah, Even deep yeah. deeper connections with my friends. And I love yeah. that. It's great that you do it, you know. I told you, I often watch it myself, and I think it's a wonderful thing. And you get more of people because it's you asking it, you know. So yeah, people yeah. tend to to elaborate, to tell about themselves more because they feel comfortable. I know I did. Well, good, man. Good. Well, all right. Everybody, uh, if you're not a ruler, you should sub subscribe and, or become a ruler because we're going to be back in a minute for the turn two. Um, but, dude... Thank you for doing this, man. It was a, a, a pleasure talking to you, as always. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank rulers, you so much for having me. You're welcome. And, uh, all right, rulers, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> all right.